This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Shouldn't Feel This Way, Name What's Hard, Tame Your Guilt, and Transform Self-Sabotage into Brave Action, written and narrated by Dr. Allison Cook, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. These fears started coming up, these questions started coming up in my mind because I realized I'd never studied scripture before. So I started asking myself, like, hold on, why do I really believe what I believe? Mm. And I had had experiences and encounters with the Lord before, like very significant ones. But there were still questions in the back of my mind that I just kind of brushed off and never asked. And now I was like finally confronting them. I, I never confronted them because I was scared to, because if... I ask these questions and I get an answer that doesn't line up with, with what I believed. And it's like that the whole, the, the entire foundation that I've built my life on comes crumbling down and I come crashing down with it. But I couldn't avoid them anymore. This is Where You're From, an origin story podcast at the intersection of faith and culture that digs into the influences and experiences that shape who we are today. Join us as we gain insight into the Bible's wisdom for all, regardless of where we're from. Hey, y'all, this is Rasul Berry. Thanks for joining me on Where You're From. This week, you are in for a treat. I'm talking with content creator Chaz Smith. Chaz has been making people laugh out loud on social media since 2013 and gained millions of followers and hundreds of millions of views across social media platforms. But as we talked, I quickly learned there is more to Chaz than making people laugh. Much more. You can find out more about Chaz by clicking the links on the show notes or by visiting whereyoufrom.org. That's where, Y-A, from, dot O-R-G. Please join me as I ask Chaz Smith where you're from. I am from New Jersey. That's where I grew up. I was actually born in Connecticut, uh, where you spent my whole life in Jersey. Um, I have two amazing parents. They're both really successful in their careers. Um, I grew up very, very fortunate and privileged. Um, my dad played in the NBA for 10 years. My mom was a news anchor. And before that, she was BET's first live talk show host on a show called Teen Summit in the late 80s, and early 90s. Oh, of course. Teen Summit. That used to be like all uh, the hot topics that were going on in the world and yeah. the culture. What was her stage name? Lisa Johnson Smith. That's her actual name. Okay. Yeah. So that was her. Some really cool um, I admire that she did is um after my youngest brother was born, my mom felt like the Lord told her to put aside her career to focus on raising me and my brothers. Mm. And looking back, I can see like how much of a massive impact that that had on our lives. She had the biggest influence on my walk with the Lord. Mm. So I grew up going to church, but just because you go to church doesn't mean that you're a Christian, that you actually follow Jesus. But um, I know that I knew the Lord from a young age, largely because of her time, like one-on-one time with me and my brothers, praying with us every night before we go to sleep. We didn't really like study scripture or worship together or like just talk about God together much as a whole. Hmm. But my mom was, she'd be praying. (laughs) She'd be praying for real. My father too, of course, but in terms of just following Jesus, so much of who I am is because of her influence in my life. Mm, that's dope. So 
you mentioned both of your parents experienced a lot of success. So, mm -hmm. you know, obviously Teen Summit, that's mm -hmm. a huge thing. Yeah. Uh, what about your father? Oh, yeah. So my dad, he, <laughs> this dude, he grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut in the hood. I'm pretty sure this is how it goes. I could be missing some of the details, but he said his freshman year, he took a picture with, I believe it was his cross country track team or football team or something like that by his senior year, all but three of them, one being himself were either in jail or dead. So mm. he like, he saw a lot growing up. Um, mm. But he used basketball to get him out of that situation. He ended up going on to play D1 ball at Pitt, where he's still the leading scorer and shot blocker coming up with, I think, was that 20, 30? No, it's 35 years later. Yep. Yeah. Oh, he won an Olympic gold medal too, I think, with the mm. Pan Am Games. Yeah. Um, and then he got to the league. He was drafted third overall in 1988, mm -hmm. drafted to the 76ers, played for the Clippers, Knicks, Spurs, made it to the finals one year. Didn't quite, didn't quite get it though. Lost to the Rockets. All good though. <laughs> and yeah, moved on from there to become like a serial entrepreneur and has done a bunch of stuff. Got you. Got you. So those are some pretty high standards yeah. <laughs> that you had going on yeah. at, at the house, you know, yeah, uh, BET, NBA. Those are some uh -huh. of the biggest, you know, letter right. acronyms <laughs> that we have in the culture. Uh -huh. And I'm guessing, so you were in Connecticut and Jersey. Was that related to your dad's playing right. career? Exactly. Yeah. I was born when he was with the Knicks. He retired when I was like three and a half. So I barely remember anything. I, can remember, I have one memory of being at a game, sitting in the stands with my mom, and she, I remember she was like, she was pointing out, <laughs> she was pointing out onto the court, saying, "Look there, your dad." I was like, "Where?" She's like, "Look right there." And I'm like, "I can't tell. They all look the same to me. I don't know. <laughs> Just tall black men. Now like, I can't." <laughs> but uh, we moved around a lot early on. Connecticut first, because we were with the Knicks, and then he finished his career with the Spurs. So we were in San Antonio for a couple of years. That was when my second brother was born, and then. We moved to New Jersey. There's like five or six different houses I've lived in in Jersey mm. since I was four, I think. How long were you in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut mm -hmm. area? Yeah. So East Coast pretty much my whole life, aside from that quick stint in uh, in San Antonio. So Got it. I was, I think I lived in Connecticut for one year, mm -hmm. San Antonio to like another two and a half or three, something like that. And then uh, got to New Jersey when I was three and a half or four and then was there. Gotcha. All the way through up until college. And how many siblings do you have? I have three. Okay. One older brother from previous relationship that my dad was in before he was married to my mom. My older brother is Christian. Our younger brother, Chase, is like, I'm so proud of him too. He's uh doing a lot with like modeling, playing basketball. Mm -hmm. He has a remote job working in finance. Um, he's 24. He's living in New Jersey still. Trying to move to New York soon. And my youngest brother, he's 21, going to ministry school. Just loves the Lord so much. Mm. Uh, I got a cool family, man. Uh, yeah. And I mean, one thing I noticed is that not everybody knows their parents' stats like you mm -hmm. just recited them. You know, the highlights of your dad's career, your mom, even though you were very young and a lot of that happened before you were even born. To me, that sounds like you had a pretty close family. Yeah, pretty close. Not with the, the, plenty of imperfections and sure. ugly things that have gone on. But so, like, and, it, and of course, that was the other part I was going to get at. Like, you know, growing up in that environment can be a double-edged sword. Having highly successful parents, like, did you mm -hmm. ever feel like the pressure? Like, you're not the oldest, what? but you pressure? might be the oldest. Never. The <laughs> Absolutely, of course I did, man. Yes. <laughs> when all right? When's the earliest you remember feeling like the weight of oh, expectation? Soon as my dad put me into basketball, bro. Like I didn't really want to play basketball. <laughs> 
<laughs> man, right, let me see. I want to say it was maybe when I was eight. So when you first put me in into basketball, that's a lot, man. That's a lot at eight years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then like aside from that, just growing up, people would always ask me like, "Oh, you gonna play ball like your dad? You gonna be tall like your dad? You gonna go into business like your dad? You gonna do this like your dad?" I'm like, can I just watch Pokemon and eat ice cream <laughs> in peace, please? Wow. Like, I don't know. I'm twelve. So I'm wondering, did you ever feel the fallout of his disappointment about, you know, where you were at as a baller versus where he may have wanted you to be? Yeah. Yes. There were uh, a couple of times throughout middle school, junior high, and then in high school where I wanted to quit playing. Hmm. Growing up under him, I thought like, oh, I'm going to go to the NBA. Hmm. I'm going to play ball. Right. Like I thought that was what I wanted to do, but it was really what he wanted me to do. But I didn't realize that yet. Mm. So when these feelings would come up, just about like the lack of desire to play, which I re- later realized, like I just wasn't passionate about it. It was not something that I wanted to do. So I tell him like, yo, I don't want to play anymore. And he might not have realized it, but there was like this guilt tripping thing he would do where it was like, I didn't feel as much support or acceptance or approval from him. And that caused tension in our relationship for sure. Like mm. there were several times where that made me extremely frustrated, particularly the last time when finally after the end of my senior year, I'd actually, I played in high school at Seton Hall Prep uh, for two and a half years, freshman through halfway through my junior year. It was, it's like, it's a really good school, extremely good academically, really good in New Jersey. But I decided to transfer because I was starting to have feelings like, oh, I'm not sure if I do I want to play or am I just not enjoying it here? Maybe if I go to a more competitive school, I might I'll get better. And then I'll, like me playing better will make me want to play more. And so I transferred, got into um, St. Anthony High School. It's no longer around now, but they had um, like the coach there had one of the has the I'm pretty sure he still has the record for the most wins in high school basketball history. Mm. Bob Hurley Sr. Oh, yes. Yeah. So being there, we're like number one in the country one year, number three in the country the next mm. year. To be fair, I was not really getting on the court, but I was on the team. Hey, that's a lot more than what most of yeah. us could say. <laughs> so, um, yeah, being there by the end of my junior year, I was only there for the second half of my junior year. And I realized like, yeah, I just don't want to play anymore. I'm not with this. I ain't with it. And so I wanted to quit, but I'm like, I just got here. I can't quit now. This is like one of the main reasons why I transferred. So. Um, I stuck it out through the rest of my senior year. And then by the end of the senior year, I, I remember on a car ride home one day, I'm talking to my dad. I'm like, hey, uh, I don't want to play ball anymore. He just pauses. And he goes, huh. I really feel like you could have made it to the NBA. I'm like, that now you want to tell me that? You could have said that years ago. Like, you, that's all this pressure. And this is the first time. It was like. It was the most encouraging thing I heard from him ever. At the same time, the most disrespectful thing. I'm like, man, come on. Wait, wait, wait. Did you say he said that he thought he really yes. thought you could make After it? After I like, he could have said that at some other point or just poured more time. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. See, this yeah. is now I'm a little confused because I had assumed that his emphasis and insistence uh-huh. that you continue to play meant that you knew that he saw your potential, but it doesn't seem like that. Like the way he uh, would communicate regarding basketball, it was somewhat, it was pretty decent. Mm. A lot of people just assume because he played in the league, therefore I'm good too. Like that's not what it was. I think I became good because of the environments that I was playing in, but he never really took time Mm. to play with me or coach me or like 
we would talk mm-hmm. here and there. Like most of it was like after basketball games, he would um like take me on the court. And I'm kind of like, I'm not dragging him. It, just, it is what it is. Like if you hear his dad, like, you know, this is, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But like after a game, uh, there's one, there's a couple games I can remember, like playing in the YMCA league, but um, there was one in particular where we played. Uh, I can't remember whether we won or lost, but he took me on the court and he would always like show me my mistakes, walk me through like what went wrong. Um, and he went through every single play where I made a mistake in front of everybody who's still like in the gym. And I remember asking him one time, like th- at that time, I was like, what did I do right? He goes, uh, huh. I'm like, dang, friend. <laughs> this he, wow. encouragement is not wow. one of his his strong suits. I think that was that was difficult. Um, to like it's, and again, like the the pressure of him expecting me to play well, other people expecting me to play well, me expecting myself to play well, and then when I don't, it's like the weight is like tripled. Um, mm. it was like there was like my identity was in it. If I did not play well, I was not. You know. Yeah, it sounds like the stakes were so high and it created a, a sense of pressure. Now I'm curious, on the positive side, what did that reveal or speak to you that you hadn't heard before? Yeah. Um that I guess that he really believed I was good at this. That mm-hmm. I actually like could play and had enough potential to play. And I was like, if only that was coupled with the encouragement that I needed to continue playing. Cause the entire time I thought he just thought I wasn't really good. Uh-huh. And that he just, ex- he just was always constantly expecting more of me that I wasn't good enough. So hmm. there was a positive side, like, Oh snap. Somebody who has been there can see the potential and talent in me. Like aside from hmm. the fact that it was my father. Did it cause you to question the decision at yeah, all? It did a bit. But ultimately, I was like, I'd rather go in a different direction anyway, because I, I still I just wasn't. It got to the point where I was like, I was just tired of it. I really didn't know. I didn't play for like a whole year mm. after that. So I was just I was sick of it. Does that change the dynamic or your outlook on your relationship with your dad after that ride in the car? Like what happens now? Because I'm sure you were afraid to let him know because this was going to be this big moment where the thing that he is known for and famous for is the thing you're saying, I don't want to follow in your footsteps. Mm -hmm. What was the impact of that? Yeah. uh, Immediately in the moment, I wanted to hit him. (laughs) I was so mad. I was so mad. Like, you know how... Like I, I did those like I had those angry tears. I turned to the side of the of the car, looked out the window, just just, just crocodile tears streaming down my face. I was so mad at him for that. Um, and then in the months after, probably for about a whole year. And, and just real quick, real quick, I, I just because I I think that's such a complex emotion in some degree. Mm-hmm. Anger at someone saying you could have made it to the NBA, mm-hmm. which was on a one end affirming. Yeah. What about it made you angry? I was angry because I was like. Why didn't you tell me that sooner? Got it. Okay. Like the most encouraging thing he said was kind of like, it, it was like a gift, except it was wrapped up in a trash bag and kind of just tossed to me carelessly mm. from a distance. Got it. It's like, I don't even want this. Like you, mm. you know, it, it, it was, there was no intent to uplift mm. me in that. Like trying to guilt me back into playing. He wanted me to play basketball and go, and go into business because those are things that he was great at and he wanted the best for me. He wanted me to be successful, but not according to what was on my heart 
or what I mm-hmm. desired to do or where the Lord might have been leading me. It was like I had to mm-hmm. prove myself to him in order mm-hmm. to get his affirmation and acceptance. So there was like a, a, some tension for a while. Though. Yeah. So as you're discovering this ain't it, was there something else that was brewing that you were finding Absolutely. like in this in this time period? The first time I realized it was when I was 13, but I've always really enjoyed entertaining people, making people laugh. My mm. school had everyone in the uh, class participate in plays starting in kindergarten. So we'd have pre-K and then kindergarten, you're in like the Aesop's Fables play. And there's a different one each year. And then in third grade, I was the lead role in, uh, or at least I had the most lines in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But um, that was some of the most fun I ever had and seeing the reactions that I would get from people, the joy that I would have being on stage performing and the joy that other people would get out of that. Um, something else I realized recently is that was kind of like soothing or an, a remedy to the the pressure that I would feel or the lack of affirmation that I would get playing sports. I would get affirmation from being able to entertain people. And I found out I, I, I was still outside a gift of it. Like I think that trickled down from my mom's side. Um, my dad's a great storyteller too, but um, when I was 13, that was the first time I said, yeah, I, I want. I, think I, I really think I want to go into entertainment. Um, I actually started praying about it. So that was brewing the entire time that I was playing basketball. I just never acknowledged it really until high school, going into college. Mm. It's one thing to realize, mm-hmm. hey, I enjoy this. It's another thing, as we've learned from American Idol <laughs> clips, for you to realize that you're actually good at it. <laughs> um, when did you realize, yo, people mm-hmm. are feeling me in doing this? Like, they, I, I'm actually good at this. There are multiple stages. I'd say pre-social media, I was in some plays in middle school. I think my sixth grade play, we did a, like a Disney musical uh, medley. And I got a lot of praise from that i just really enjoyed it It felt like an analogy i'll use sometimes like you know how um when like you take a a dog or a puppy or something hold it over water it'll just naturally start paddling it just it just kind of knows it just knows it's in that environment that's kind of how i'd feel when i step on a stage or get in front of a microphone or something like that i ran for student body president just because i liked being on stage giving speeches (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, sixth grade, there's that. In seventh grade, I was the lead role in uh, Macbeth Ooh. at a predominantly white school, which was like super cool to do. Um, mm. And I think that same year in seventh grade is when I first started doing like video editing back when uh, like photo booth was <laughs> the main thing people would be on. We had a, in my history class, I'll never forget this. This is, this is like, this was a pivotal point for me. My seventh grade teacher, Miss Demaria, our history project for the end of the year was to create a video about some topic. I don't even remember what the, the what the whole premise of the project was, but it was like our our capstone project for the for seventh grade in that class. And I like kind of it was like a team, it was a group project. I kind of just forgot about the assignment, just started goofing around making the video, and we got like I think we we got a good passing grade. It was like a B or something. But she was like, yeah, you didn't really follow instructions <laughs> for what we were actually supposed to do. I was just so caught up in having fun creating the content. Um, and so then, yeah, going into high school, the focus was like all on basketball. 
until senior year, January 2013, when the Vine app came out. And I started like scrolling through those, watching them, finally decided to hop on in May, 10 years ago. Um, that's a whole decade. It's weird. I'm about to be, I'm about to be 30 pretty soon. Anyway, uh, <laughs> wow, you, that just I, took you to a place. Yeah, you just I just had a whole existential I just for a second. <laughs> moment. Okay, yeah, <laughs> praise God. All right, anyway, so yeah, I got on Vine, and what was funny about that is being on Vine, like I downloaded it, I think I first downloaded it in March that year. Senioritis is kicking in, I already got into college, so I'd, I'd finish homework at like eight or nine and then just be scrolling on Vine and look up two hours later. I'm like, yo, how did I spend this much time on an app where videos are only six seconds long? Mm. Finally, the day of my prom, I decided to make a couple myself, have fun with it. I was like, oh, that's cool. Started making more, telling friends about it, sharing it. And then a month and a half later, June 15th, I was at a Father's Day barbecue at my younger brother's friend's house. So there's a bunch of kids his age. I'm like, we're not that far apart, about three or four years apart. But at 18, that's a pretty big gap. So I'm bored while I'm there. And I'm like, let me just pull out this app real quick, make a video. And um, I heard one of the kids yell and say, look, she's bringing out the water alone. I started cracking up. I thought it was so funny. And so I decided to record uh, a video <laughs> saying it. Shout out to Brian Bond. And Alan, both of y'all cool. And I recorded two takes of it. The second take was the one I uploaded. And I looked at it. I was like, this is stupid. And I deleted the app. And then I re-downloaded it a week later. And this joint has twice as many likes as any other video that I made. I'm like, this is still stupid, whatever. I deleted it again, downloaded it again a few days later. And I was at a thousand. And then a week after that, it was at 3,000 because, and people just started sharing it because you could start to revine stuff like retweeting. And by the end of the summer, it's at like, I think 300,000 likes and reshares, <laughs> and, which was huge because the app was just starting up back then. That was like a really massive right. thing. And, um, on vacation that summer, like two months later, this was one of the, the coolest things. Um, we're on vacation. And there were like a bunch of kids on the island. My dad was walking around by himself. And he saw a group of kids passing by him like across the street. And they were pointing at him, saying some stuff. And he was like, oh, they probably just pointed at me because they recognized me from the league or I'm tall. Like he's 6'10". So people just look at him just for that. <laughs> and one of them yells out, look, it's Grandpa Walter Malone. And he was like, wait, what? Did I just get recognized because of something my son did? And that like shifted his perspective. He told me that. I was like, oh, wow. I guess there is something going on here. That was pretty cool. A pretty cool moment for me. So that's even before you got to college. Yeah. Going into college was when right. it started to like really pop off. So by the end of, oh, by the way, I went to Penn also. Get out. Yeah. 2017, <laughs> I graduated. Nice. But no, nah, that's cool. That's cool. So, all right. So you enroll at uh, Penn, go Quakers. Mm -hmm. And now that's another chapter, right? You're away from home, you know, another mm -hmm. city. What was that like for you? Um, It was really cool. It was like, being in college is like the transition of really being on your own because you're still in a massive community of people your age and you have a structure with classes and all that. So it's, you're, it's not quite, in my opinion, like legit adulthood <laughs> right. yet. Also, I was, for me, I was living pretty close to my family because Philly and Jersey are not far away right. at all. But you don't got to worry about taxes yet. You don't got to worry about like, like not for real, for real. You don't got to worry about like, uh, 
caring for your own home in the way that you would on your own. But I really enjoyed my time in college, aside from the ridiculous amounts of work that we had to do there. But <laughs> um, made a lot of great relationships, started to mature, started recognizing a whole lot of ways where I was just, like prideful and uh, self-righteous. Um, but overall, it was it was super cool, mm. man. I really like being there. So, you know, I can definitely relate in the same space in terms of being at a place where your faith is challenged people you're meeting people from mm-hmm. all walks of life and you really have to know do i really believe this on my own right mm-hmm. do you remember a moment where you kind of decided you know i'm 10 toes down deep on my faith yeah. and tell me a little mm-hmm. bit more about what that was like yeah that was a two-part experience for me so like i said i grew up going to church, same church pretty much my whole life. And I would do like devotionals on version Bible app, which was cool. But once I left and was on in school on my own, I was like, oh snap, I need to get plugged into a community. Like, and I started praying like, Lord, I really want to, like, can you lead me to a Bible study? I want to like starting to study, read scripture with other people. Second semester, freshman year, I am walking back to my dorm at night and there's a 38th street bridge, right? Mm-hmm. As I'm getting to the bridge, about to cross over to the like north side of 38th street, this dude pops out. It, it felt, it was like, you know, Dora the Explorer, that little like yellow troll <laughs> that pops out the, the troll bridge or whatever. It was kind of like that. He, he like startled me. He was like, Hey man, you want to go to a Bible talk? I was like, Whoa, mm-hmm. who are you? Where, what is this? And, like if I I know now looking back, like my spirit jumped. It was like red flag, no. But as he kept talking, I started to just brush it off. It's like, oh, a random dude just came up to me like at night. Like, of course that's gonna like that's gonna be weird. But come to find out, he's part of this cult. It was like a religious cult using the name of Jesus to draw more people in, kind of like a pyramid scheme type thing. There was a lot of manipulation. Mm-hmm. Remove scripture from it. And they're just coercing people into joining their group. Like I started to tell friends about it. So I was like, I thought it was, this was an answer to prayer at first. Mm-hmm. They're like very like love bomby mm-hmm. when I first got there. But they have a script and formula for how to bring people in, which I saw like about a friend of mine. I was inviting friends to it. And then like they started telling me, yo, this ain't it. This is a. Uh, it's pretty whack. And then one friend said, like, yo, this is a cult. 60 Minutes did a whole documentary on them. I was like, what? Them? Nah. She's like, no, for real. Like, look at this video. I'm watching. I'm like, uh, maybe that's just over there. She's like, I'm going to send you this document from somebody who was a part of it and left and wrote all their experiences down, got a whole bunch of testimonies from other people. And and I started to read it. I was like, I was looking through like the 10 steps that they go take people through to lead them and draw them into the group and like guilt trip them and blackmail them into being part of it. I was like, oh, snap, I'm on step three. That's that's wild. Mm. <laughs> so I realized, like, yeah, I got a dip. And after that, I was like, okay, it's not enough to just read the Bible. You need to study. Mm. You need to know scripture. Like, for the sake of knowing Jesus, of course, but also so that you're not deceived and led astray by false doctrine. Right. That was a really good experience, um, ultimately. Cause it like protected me from a lot of stuff later on. But a year later, I was looking back on it, like coming up on like a, a year after it happened. And these fears started coming up. These questions started coming up in my mind because I realized I'd never studied scripture before. So I started asking myself, like, hold on, 
why do I really believe what I believe? Mm. And I had had experiences and encounters with the Lord before, like very significant ones, but there were still questions in the back of my mind that I just kind of brushed off and never asked. And now I was like finally confronting them. I, I never confronted them because I was scared to, because if I ask these questions and I get an answer that doesn't line up with, with what I believed, and it's like that the whole, the, the entire foundation that I've built my life on comes crumbling down and I come crashing down with it. But I couldn't avoid them anymore. And so I came to the point where I was doubting God's existence entirely. And two of the friends that were uh, with me like the year before when I was going through the like, cult experience, I had told them and they were like, hey man, let's just pray. And so we put on some worship music, we started praying. And they're like, how you feel? And I'm like, terrible still. Like, I don't know what the heck is going on. And, and one of them was like, I think you just need to go in your room and just talk to God on your own. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do that. Which was so awkward and weird. And did it make sense? Because I'm like, I don't even know if a God exists. So it would be like fool. It, like mm -hmm. I went laid on the floor and I'm crying. I'm like this, this is just, if I'm talking to no one, this is just stupid. I'm just like talking into the air of my room. Like this is stupid. But I was like, Lord, if you're real, please just show me because I'm struggling right now. I'm crying. I don't know. I'm, I don't remember how long I was there, but over the next week in ways that were extremely personal to me, that just makes sense. Aside from all the doctrine that I've already known and just evidence that I've seen, the Lord just really spoke to me and showed me like, yes, I'm here. It's very, very clear, um, real ways. And that ended up like really marking me and putting a stake in the ground mm. for like knowing, oh yes, the God of Israel is real. He sent his son, he's real. I have the Holy Spirit. When we come back, Chaz will share how being admitted to one of the most prestigious film schools in the world left him with the choice to play it safe or pursue his dream. That's coming up next on Where You're From. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit. Hey y'all, before we get back to our conversation with Chaz Smith, I wanted to share a quick teaser from our next episode with Renee Begay. This is where you're from. Stories around the village of like people who did decide to follow Jesus and like the things that were reported back to the traditional people of like just scary stories of like, you know, they didn't make it or like they didn't they didn't make it to heaven or things like that. I don't know. It was just like it scared me because I, I would like listen to these stories of like, OK, so then what does that do to my identity? Like, am I not really Zuni? And so a lot of it was just like, if I do decide to follow Jesus, like, am I going to be kicked out of Zuni? Like, am I going to be denied my Zuni identity? Um, and it was a really big fear that I had. Now, let's get back into our conversation with Chaz Smith on where you're from. So you 
are there away from home, getting in and out of a cult, you know, reaffirming your relationship <laughs> with the Lord, you know, what happens next? And are you still making videos at this point? Yeah. So going into college, I got accepted, got accepted into Edinburgh School of Communications because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm doing entertainment now. I want to be a talk show host. Right. And this was without ever having seen an episode of my mom's show. I was like 13. I was 13 when I first said I wanted to be a talk show host, never having watched an episode of Teen Summer. Wow. And so now I get in for communications. I'm like, all right, dope. About to get some TV training and blah, blah, blah. I get to school the first day and they just opening up books and slides. And I'm like, this, wh- where are the cameras? Mm-mm. Where's the, where's the, where are the screens? <laughs> and, it, it just ended up being all theoretical. I wasn't prepped for that. I realized we were literally just going to be communicating with each other all day. I was, I thought we was going to be doing some actual broadcast stuff. So I was like, nah, I ain't doing this. And I switched over to film studies. So I'm like, if we just going to be talking, I'm going to at least be watching movies while we're doing it. Like, <laughs> and I ended up taking a video class that second semester and had so much fun that I was like, I, I think it was probably a week into the class. I was like, I'm going to be a director, like for sure. I want to do film production and tell stories. Everything I made that semester was garbage, but <laughs> I had fun doing it. It was good garbage. <laughs> 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 like from that moment, I was like, mom, dad, I want to transfer to NYU for the film school. And so they're like, uh, that's cool. But nah, you got into one of the best schools in the country. Why don't you just stay there, get your degree, and then you could always go to NYU for grad school for the film program. Also, it would be better to go for grad school. I'm like, yeah, you're right. So from that point on, I was like determined to get into NYU. Did well, graduated, I think, like 3.3, pretty good, um, and got into NYU for the film program. And a month before it started, this was four years now, I was still making videos, creating content, got to travel, went to like New York Fashion Week and got to do like a brand deal with Doritos and Guardians of the Galaxy and all this other stuff throughout college. Like went to Jerusalem for a film program, got to go to Cannes Film Festival, Sundance, all this other stuff. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. We can't skip over that. (laughs) Wait, I didn't even know all that was happening. All right, so let's go back to Watermelon, right? Uh All right, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) I got to get Trace the Vine story. All right, so when's the next viral video is it is it the how not to pr- pronounce yeah things? pronouncing things incorrectly videos <laughs> yeah that's a funny story too man because i was on vine i think yeah this dude started posting these videos i would be in tears laughing at him and i thought they were so funny like he was he was always he was always like cussing and everyone so i was like i, th- I thought they were so funny i admired them so i started making my own like oh, oh i'll do a clean version of them i was just like pronouncing things incorrectly cool and i started making them and started blowing up and then i realized by like the eighth or ninth one i was like oh snap i have not credited this dude at all it was totally like sincere mm-hmm. like it was a totally genuine thing like oh dang i i wasn't trying to like steal anything from him right i realized like, oh man he inspired this i should credit him so i dm'd him i was like hey man i love your content i've been making these but i realized i haven't been crediting you i'm so sorry i'll start tagging you from now on i really love your stuff it's like oh man i appreciate it and i had like met a bunch of other viners at that point so we had a group chat and I invited him into it and all this stuff was like being really kind, warm, genuine and like kept making them. And then one day uh, I get this DM from the same dude and he's like cussing me out saying like, all right, bro, you've done enough. Now it's time to be original. Get back to making your own stuff, blah, 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 blah. blah. So I'm like, yo, where's this hostility coming from? Like it's animosity. And I go on Instagram and I see my follower account had 
just barely past his. Mm. But then I started questioning, like, wait, am I doing something mm. wrong? Like, I thought, mm. I thought he was cool. He was cool with it before when I right. reached out. Like, what, what's going on now? So those would be like that became the name thing that I was known for, and like still am known for. People still come up to me all the time and say like random words that I've like mispronounced before. But in my mind, I'm sitting here questioning, like, is this moral for me to continue doing this mm-hmm. if this guy doesn't want me to anymore and he's the one who inspired it? Like, I don't know. And this was after the Water Malone vibe too, but that was a big question. But those are the next videos that like to blow up, like from. 2014 all the way through 2016. Dude, and let me just tell you, first of all, my daughter started saying watermelon to me, and I just thought she was being silly. I had no idea. So it became part of our family lexicon. Like, we would just be like, oh, you want to get some watermelon? Uh I I, I am finding out today. I was today years old when I realized (laughs) that you are the source of why she was pronounced, because she loved Vine, so Uh she was on there all the time. But the how to pronounce things incorrectly... It still slaps today. It is just hilarious, like Mm -hmm. to watch, and you do it so fast. Could you even give an example, like for the folks that maybe never seen the vine before? Uh huh. Yeah. So one of my favorite ones was one of was from one of the first vines I did, and I also think this was like partly inspired by my mom because growing up we would just be goofy and like make it. You know how I don't know if you do this with your wife, but when you want to say something to your wife in front of your kids that you don't want them to understand. You'll talk yeah. in a, like, a particular way. So my parents had their own language. They used to be like, hey, you feel like I'm rude. You try to go to, try to put them to bed and blah, blah, blah. Like, you, yeah. you talk like that, we would never be able to understand what they were saying. So right. it was just like a giggly thing for me and my brothers. So you'd always joke around like that. So I remember I walked into a CVS one time and I saw a box of Reese's Puffs and I looked at it and I was like, this is probably how my mom would say it. And I called them. I started cracking up at myself. And uh, yeah, it just be- it became a thing, like a, a big staple. Gotcha. Rasasapuff. <laughs> got it. Got it. Okay. So now, now one thing I, I do have to say is interesting. You asked this ethical question that emerges when somebody that inspired work that now you're getting a lot of popularity mm-hmm. for is now resisting that mm-hmm. two-part question. One, is that a process that other social media influencers or creators do as well? Like, that, are they wrestling with that type of thing? Or is that something that, like, was kind of more of maybe something that's a more unique way to approach it? Possibly. I think for most people, they're just concerned about the numbers, not the ethics of what they're right. doing, because they want to get their attention, their followers, their fame, their money, whatever. Um, I think this happens a lot in creative industries. There's a book that I think is pretty well known. It's called Steal Like an Artist, where it talks about the idea, like the opposite idea, actually, of having permission to use like your heroes or like somebody you admire, like their work to figure out your own brand and create your own content. But I think it's another thing to just do exactly what somebody else is doing and claim it as your own. Mm hmm. For other content creators, I don't think they think that deeply about it. Like, yeah. I wanted to see them succeed too. I'm like, yo, if you ever want to collab on anything or if you ever need like some reshares or whatever, like I have a strong following now thanks to something I, was, I started creating that I was inspired by you with. Like, I want to help you out. But uh, yeah, all the, the jealousy was there. So it didn't mm-hmm. quite work out like that. How did you 
end up resolving or reconciling that? And was there like a spiritual principle that helped you with that? Um, I think just walking in an honorable way and just doing what you know is right, regardless of how other people are acting. A, a scriptural example, I think, that might have some parallels to it is when David is walking on some road. I don't remember what it is, but um, I think it was either a guy named Shimei or uh, a relative mm-hmm. of, um, it was a Benjamite or something. And he was cursing David and all of his soldiers as they were walking down um, this road, traveling, tired, hungry, all this stuff. And one of his main guys was like, yo, David, which you gonna just like off this dude real quick? Like he's disrespecting you. He's disrespecting the king in the like. Like what are you doing? David responds like, "Hey man, like I don't know if the Lord wants to use this man's curses to end up blessing me somehow. Just let it be." Mm. And so, I think like a lot of times when people come at us, I think in our flesh we want to respond with seeing justice or um, retribution in some way, but there are times to just let it happen and recognize like you know what lord i am i've done nothing wrong i've walked rightly with you you handle the situation how you want to see it done that is an incredible first of all you know your word that like you don't <laughs> just pull that up from john three sixteen on the sign like that that's a deep cut but um i think too it just reflects and reveals a certain kind of confidence and a trust in god to fight your battles yeah. and that is just a, a very, I think, wise and insightful uh, way to respond to the kind of hate that accompanies. Now, mm-hmm. and, and and let me just dig into this real quick, right? Because you're you're an influencer. You have hundreds of thousands of people that follow you. Like, how do you think that type of perspective could avoid the type of flare-ups of social media beef that we see pop up from time to time with those who have rival groups mm-hmm. like if you were to be able to give a word to your peers right mm-hmm. and, and that that you think that this kind of insight could mm-hmm. offer for them what, what would it be first of all i think this whole perspective that david had was to not look at the person in front of him but to look at the character of the lord and just mm-hmm. his relationship with him so unless somebody really knows jesus has a relationship with him and a sensitivity to him, it'll be difficult to share that message like that directly. So I'd have to cater it to people in a way where it makes sense just from a human level and perspective, which is very difficult because nobody really wants to be humble. Everybody wants to be exalted and glorified on their own. They want to be right. They want everybody else to know they're right. I want everybody. Like that's, that's just, that's how it is. So for influencers, when beef rises up, it's like, I think it requires a great level of humility in seeing a larger perspective and recognizing that your identity isn't in what you create. And, uh, Mm. huh. Let me think about that for a minute. Cause I've, I've had eyewitness accounts of people just, you know, ripping each other apart. Yeah. It just becomes a battle of pride. I'd say, yeah, that is really as simple. I think it's just a matter Mm. of humility. And if nobody, if you're not willing to just be like, you know what, it's not worth it. Right. I don't need to have my ego like soothed or massaged or to be proven right in order mm. to feel okay about this. I can let it go. If no Got one's, it. if somebody's not willing to do that, it's not, you, you can't really do anything about it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So humility. So, at, you know, 
at what point do you get like beyond hey, it's cool that people are responding to this to actual like corporations or companies asking you to endorse something like uh-huh. when did that happen <laughs> oh man the first time that that happened i don't remember the first but i can think of one of the first that's a flex by the way that, that i mean you're not intentionally flexing <laughs> oh, my- <laughs> but 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 it is a flex like, I, you know i can't remember the first time a company it's asked been me 10 years <laughs> Let me see. Yes, Uh, uh, let me. It's so many now. It's so many. (laughs) But but for real, yeah, I think the first big brand that reached out was there was a collab that Doritos was doing for um, one of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Old Spice was when it really took off, though. That was super cool. Came up with this idea for a song called You Need Some Spice. (laughs) They had reached out, I think, a few days before that. I wasn't even thinking about the brand deal. The song comes to mind. I'm like, oh, snap, I can do a song. I make the video, send it into them. They approve it, upload it, and it like outperforms all of the other influencers who are way bigger followings than me. And they're like, yo, are you down to make this into a longer version? I'm like, yeah, but if we're going to do a longer version, it's got to be like full production quality. And this is where the film stuff started to come in. Um, my manager was able to negotiate a really cool deal with Old Spice where like, we made an entire high quality, high production music video. Got my friend uh, Ruslan to produce it. Um, Spice Adams was in it, if you're familiar with him, uh, in the video. And yeah, it was so much fun to do. And it performed well also, all from just like initially saying like, yeah, water Malone instead of watermelon. Like that was kind wow. of the start of all this. That's hilarious. So you, you, you know, you're doing all this in college, you're seeing the success and growth. And then now you decide to go to NYU. Mm-hmm. Right. I did not. Oh, I got you into got into NYU. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm going through college. I do all this social media stuff. I'm realizing I want to go into film production, but I'm still doing social media stuff. I feel like, ah, oh, this is, I know I'm capable. I want to do more. I'm capable more than this. End up meeting Spike Lee. My dad had a connection through uh, the Knicks, which is cool. We end up running into him actually on vacation. Going into my senior year, he's like, oh, what do you want to do after you graduate? I'm like, oh, I actually want to go to NYU. He's like, why did you tell me? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, what? Spike <laughs> so Lee like, said, why you and tell, why didn't you tell yeah, me? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I had done an internship with him. I didn't really have a relationship with him like that, but I did an internship with him like after my freshman year. But yeah, I see him like a couple years later and he's like, I, I got you. So I applied, ended up getting in. I also got into a, a film production internship in LA for two months post-graduation. So June and July 2017, right after I graduated, I'm in L.A. getting experience at a production company. And then after this, I'm like, oh, this is dope. I'll be able to get experience here and go right back to the East Coast because I don't want to be on the West Coast. L.A.'s phony. Hollywood's whack. I never want to be around y'all. Peace. And at the end of that trip, there's like this five day intensive that I was a part of because I got the internship through this organization called Praxis. They're about redemptive entrepreneurship. and oh, yeah. Andy Crouch. Yeah. All of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I got to be a part of that. And. We did this five day intensive at the end, the Practice Academy. And while I was there, I got to hear this guy named Dave Evans speak. And he like, co founded EA. He's a professor at Stanford, really brilliant dude. And he wrote this book and has this course about designing your life, like a five year plan type thing. We did a quick crash course on this book and this course that he does at Stanford, a three hour version of a 13 week class. In this crash course, he gives us these sheets of paper. And he tells us, all right, everybody, I want you to write down your five-year plan as you see it right now. I'm like, it's 
easy. I got into NYU. All right, year one, NYU. Year two, NYU. Year three, NYU. Year four, thesis film. Year five, Sundance, Cannes, all that. I'm set. And as I'm writing this down, I'm like, hmm, this feels kind of bland. But I'm like, nah, it is what it is. Like, I, I'm, this is what I want to do, right? This is always what I wanted to do. Then he goes, all right, guys, you're done. Cool. Now what I want you to do is five-year plan number two. Pretend that five-year plan number one is dead. What are you going to do? I'm like, huh? What you mean? There was, it's, with, there, there's, there's no plan B. There's nothing mm. else that I would do. But I started to entertain. I'm like, wait a minute. What? I actually, hold on. I have this social media following. Huh? Wait a minute. Wasn't I, didn't I always want to go into entertainment? And I started to think about these other things that like the Lord had put on my heart from like a young age. And this was just like exciting me and scaring me at the same time. And in this moment, mm. within a matter of like a few minutes, I started recognizing I've been seeing NYU as a safety net. All this affirmation and praise that mm. I got from production, entertainment, all that stuff that I didn't get from basketball. I was now seeing NYU as a safety net because there I couldn't fail. There's no such thing as being not good enough. Because even if I made a trash short film in grad school, I'm still in the program and I'm still going to learn. But if I go to social media, this place where the Lord has clearly been blessing me and giving me favor, if I step out into that, then I don't know what's going to happen. I could jump and end up flat on my face, but also I could end up flying and the Lord could bless it even more. And I'm also opening up the doors for him to do so much more than what he could if I was just confined at NYU. Not that he wouldn't bless that, but huh and so i told a couple friends about it who are there i'm like y'all this this was going through my head and one of them just like you want to pray about it i'm like yeah sure and so as soon as i bowed my head i knew the answer i felt immediate peace like oh Mm -hmm. snap i'm not going to nyu i'm gonna do the social media thing and that was back in 2017 now here i am like six years later still creating content making a living off of it been able to have so many more opportunities meet so many people and um, I really feel like the, the Lord has just been leading me in this direction. Wow. That's that's amazing. I got to ask you this. You on your YouTube page, you know, you have this quote that laughter soothes the soul. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that and what that means to you. Yeah, that's based off the Bible verse. That, like laughter is good mm-hmm. medicine. I just thought it would be too proper to put that exact quote <laughs> in the banner. I fully believe that we all need the resurrection power of Christ lived in and flowing in and through us by his spirit. We need to have a relationship with and be reconciled back to the father. We need Jesus. But sometimes we just need to laugh. Like I think a lot of people don't realize that God has a sense of humor. Genuine humor is an overflow of joy, I believe. Of course, a lot of people are gifted who are very funny, but like also depressed. But I mean, like, there's a different type of laughter that comes from a place of joy and peace. And that's where a lot of my content has come from. I'm just at peace, chilling. Like that's when some of the funniest ideas come. And an example of that, there have been times where I've gotten DMs from people who have said, Hey, um, you're probably never going to see this, but I was considering self-harm or worse. And then I stumbled across your page and it just totally changed my attitude. And like, basically, you made me laugh. Now I want to mm. live. Like, what? Mm. For real? That's that's kind of wild. And it, 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 that actually put a 
made a lot of pressure on me because I that, I took that as like a savior complex. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh man, if I'm not making content, if I'm not making people laugh, people are gonna die. I need mm-hmm. to <laughs> like that was that was a lot of pressure until I realized like, okay, wait, Lord, you're in control of this. Um you're more focused on who I'm being and becoming than what I'm doing. So there's a piece that came out of that that helped give me more freedom to just create freely rather than out of obligation or to be like laughter man, the superhero in vine colored tights or something. I don't know. Did you say blonde colored tights? Vine colored. Vine colored tights. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but I I just believe there's a great power that laughter has, especially in storytelling. It disarms people. It lets people's guards down. Mm. You can communicate a deep message to somebody through comedy and laughter in ways that a serious approach may never do. I think that there are times when Jesus was preaching where he cracked jokes and it's not like very Mm -hmm. apparent just reading scripture. But if you look at Matthew seven, right? Like this is following him talking about adultery and murder and hell and all these things. And then he goes, don't judge anyone unless you judge yourself. Before looking at the speck of dust in your brother's eye, take out the log in your own eye. You telling me that wasn't funny, bro? Like <laughs> people are all locked in, like super serious. And then he totally flips it with like this grotesque image of that would have been funny. Mm. Jesus had a mm. sense of humor. You cannot tell me he did it because right. if we're really made in his image and laughter is a pure thing, joy and humor is a pure thing. That's got to be a characteristic of who the father is. Like, it, yeah. So it's funny. You're like a transformer. There's more than meets the eye, right? Like, you, you know, a social media influencer is not necessarily the person I would lead in my prediction of who's <laughs> going to quote Shimei in Second Samuel, <laughs> you know, in, in the context of an application in their life. Where did you get your Bible training from and your understanding of scripture? Yeah, like I said, I grew up going to church, did devotions most of my life, but started like really studying once I got to college. There's two people that I really thank for my understanding and knowledge of scripture. One is Lionel King. He's like a big brother to me. I met him in youth group when I was younger. He was a youth pastor when I was there. Now he's the teaching pastor at um, the church I used to go to in New Jersey, Christ Church. He's just always been just great at teaching, discipling, and doing life with me. Also being super cool. Like he's a dope dude. And then the other person is Aaron Campbell at Antioch. Yes. Dude. Yeah. Do you know I went to school with him? What? Oh, so were you you knew him before he got saved? Dude, did I know him before he got saved? Oh, Let me man. tell you. Thuggish, ruggish bone, Aaron yeah. Campbell. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it was so funny because it's like, how are you gonna be at an Ivy League school and uh-huh. a thug? Like, come on, pick a lane. But nah, that was his life. And I saw the transformation. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, my wife ended up fellowshipping at Antioch for a season at the Bible study at his house. Yeah. So, so yeah, I know Aaron very well. Yeah, man. The way that dude breaks down and teaches scripture and just his, like, it's, it's his knowledge, but also like how he applies it and makes the connections between <laughs> what's going on. Like he, yeah. he helped me see the Bible from a storytelling perspective mm. in ways that other teachers mm. of scripture have it. And he helped me like see how fun studying scripture can be or thinking about it. Like I remember one time he was preaching about David talking about uh, him slaying Goliath. And he just like described this visual of like long before that happened, David was just probably chilling under a tree between like duties that he had taking care of his father's sheep. 
he would be standing like off at a distance, loading up his sling and trying to knock leaves off of a tree so that he can shoot with precision. I'm like, yo, I never, he might've been doing something like that. Like, I don't know, but it was just so like, he would bring, he would help bring scripture to life. And um, that just really resonated and connected with me, especially with my desires to like tell stories and do film production, things like that. So Mm, that's what's up. So, you know, speaking of educating, you're working on a project that has an educational element to it. You know, tell tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So this uh, web series called What Had Happened Was is (laughs) it's great name. Like, yeah, even in the title, it's meant to portray like somebody looking at it at a distance is like when you hear what happened was like you know somebody about to tell the story it's gonna be funny but that's just like the storefront and the whole goal is for people to see scripture see the bible not just as a bunch of characters in a book but as people who actually lived and walked on this earth and knew the lord for themselves and had experiences and encounters with him and yeah the whole Goal is to retell stories from the Bible in an entertaining, educational, insightful, and simple way mm. for people of no matter what their background is or how old they are. Mm. And the goal is to add in like humor and cultural relevance, but without watering down or compromising mm. scripture. What I mean, what I mean by cultural relevance is like similar to how Veggie Tales would take. Uh, it wouldn't be like a direct translation. It'd still be the right. stories, but there'd be right. oh, I recognize that pop culture reference. That's funny. I enjoy that. There's like things to connect with people in a lighthearted way, while still getting the heart and message and story of what's being told of the overarching narrative of Scripture from beginning to end, who Jesus is, why we need Him, and then also breaking down like some biblical insights through narration and bringing up historical and cultural context that isn't directly apparent in scripture. Hmm. So infusing facts and just perspectives and things like that into the stories is going to, I believe, help draw people even more to scripture and be like, yo, wait, what's going on here? Like, let me read. I never saw it that way. Wait, who is God? Let me read this. I didn't, I've never stepped this up foot. And this is something I believe will bless people who typically may never go to a church, hmm. maybe haven't heard the gospel or just don't read their Bibles. They'll be able to watch these and, get an appetite for those things, for mm. a relationship with the Lord. Man, I'm excited now because I can see your enthusiasm. Oh, I mean, I'm so excited about it, man. Now, that's phenomenal. Help me understand, is it as much of an extreme, hard left turn as it seems to go from watermelon <laughs> to like what you know David <laughs> might have been doing prior to slaying Goliath? Is, is it as much of a transition in your mind as it is in ours, or is it just an, a, an evolution and an expression of what you've always been about? I'd say on the outside, for my platform, 100%, it definitely is. And that's difficult because the way I describe it is like, I've been operating a Chick-fil-A for the past 10 years, mm. right? And when people go to Chick-fil-A, they want some waffle fries, nuggets, and an original sandwich, maybe with some cheese on it. People who put cheese on the chicken sandwiches are weird, by the way. I don't understand that. Just yeah. Don't make sense. Anyway, say you come into this Chick-fil-A one day and you want your fries, your nuggets, and your chicken sandwich. And you see the entire menu has been turned into a sweet green. Like, why are there salads all over the menu? What is this? I know salad is good, but I don't want salad. I want junk food. Give me junk food. Matter of fact, I'm leaving. I'm not coming back here again. Like, 
that's been really difficult because I've loved making people laugh, giving the fast food, the funny, quick microwave type content. But I've always had a desire to go deeper with people and ultimately point them to Jesus. That's always been a desire, like on my heart, so heavily. I know I'm gifted in that as well. I actually got on YouTube a month before I got on Vine because I wanted to do exactly that. But Vine is what took off. And so I've been blessed and given favor with this humor platform, but always feeling like I know this isn't quite it. This is here. I want to like be a good steward of it. But ultimately, God, how do I do both? And so I think this will be a difficult but necessary transition and something that not everybody's going to be on board with. But I overall think it will have like great impact and eternal value, not just on believers, but on non-believers as well, Hmm. on people who are interested in seeking Jesus. This is where you're from. I'm Rasul Berry. And remember, it's not just about where you're at. It's also about where you're from. This show was produced by Ryan Clevenger, Mary Jo Clark, and Jade Gussman, and was engineered by Kevin Burgess. I also want to thank Barry and Brian for their help in supporting and promoting where you're from. Thanks, y'all. Where You're From is part of the Voices Collection from Our Daily Bread Ministries.